0: You know, all relationships are based on trust, relationship that you have in marriage or with your children or with a friend or even with a company or or with a church. It's based on trust. Our relationship with God is based on trust, and we know that we can trust him. He is a trustworthy God. But you know, God trusts you. He entrusts his blessings to us, and he blesses us so that we can be a blessing. He'll bring blessings to you if he can get blessings through you. So every year, because uh, we practice the highest level of financial integrity and accountability here at Trinity Church, we present our budget at the end of our fiscal year. A new fiscal year begins July 1. And we're only able to do all that we do throughout a year, all of our ministries and all that happens in our church and all the outreaches and the mission, missionaries that we support, our outreach center and 1,000-plus people that come for food and clothing every month, our, how, our Heartline Women's Clinic, even our school. All that we're able to do is because of the faithfulness of the people who call Trinity their home in honoring the Lord with your tithes, with your offerings, and with your, with your financial support. Because of your, your love and generosity, <clears throat> we're able to minister to the thousands of people that we are able to minister in our community. And we've been doing it now for 55 years. Can we thank God for the 55 years of faithful ministry to this community? It's just amazing. It's because of God-fearing men and women such as yourselves that call Trinity your home. Every church in our community, every church in our nation, and every church around the world. And uh, we had some former staff members who are now in China, and they were in town visiting. And they said, pray for the persecuted church, because the underground church, a lot of persecution, the government is making all Christian churches register with the government, and many spiritual leaders are disappearing. The hardship of doing the work of Christ in some parts of the world is just mind-boggling. And yet, uh, we have so many opportunities here, and I pray that the church continues to take advantage of those. But we're only able to, to do that because of your love and your support. So, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to meet and exceed our budget in this past fiscal year. And we by faith are thanking God and thanking you for your continued love and generosity that will meet our budget for the new fiscal year that begins July 1. And for those of you that like numbers, uh, we have a uh, PowerPoint up here that lets you know what the budget is that we're trusting the Lord for in this new year, six million dollars. Many hands make for a light load, so all of us doing our part to honor the Lord, we will meet that and exceed that. And here's the breakdown of how the finances are utilized here at Trinity. You know, uh, the ministry departments submit a budget for the new year for their ministries. Uh, It goes through our CFO and our administrative elders. It comes to me, and then I present it to our board of elders, and we sit, look, pray with a fine-tooth comb. We go through that, and then we pray and submit it. And uh, it becomes our budget for the new year, and then we share it with you because we're only one of two churches in all of Lubbock that have certification from the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, which says one thing. Of many things, it says one thing. This is a trustworthy place for you to honor the Lord with your tithes and offerings, and we thank God for that because all relationships are based on trust. So we trust you with this information. And uh, can we go before the Lord in a word of prayer? Father, we humbly thank you for your provision in this last year. Thank you for all the ministries and for all the thousands upon thousands of people that come through these doors, many of which are not here to stay as members because they're in transition. But they're loved. They hear the gospel. Many are saved. Hundreds have been water baptized. We're just so thankful for the fruitful ministry of this church and for the faithfulness of the people who call trinity their home bless them lord bless them thank you lord for their jobs and their businesses and their promotions and the increase in their life that if you can get blessing through us you will get your blessings to us we thank you in advance for your provision in this new fiscal year it's in the name of jesus that we pray and all of god's people said amen and amen i want to welcome all of of you that are watching online we are studying in the book of acts we finished chapter thirteen and fourteen And uh, we're going to jump into Chapter 15. And what a journey it's been. uh, Following the Apostle Paul and his first missionary journey, he traveled over 1,400 miles by boat, by beast, and by foot to share the gospel when he and Barnabas and his ministry team were sent out of the church of Antioch in Acts Chapter 13. But they reach a critical stage in the proclamation of the gospel here in Acts chapter 15 uh, because, well, a determination needed to be made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Is the death of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, sufficient enough for salvation, or do we need to add to the finished work of Christ? This is the important issue critical issue that the early church tackled here in Acts chapter 15. Some say it's not the most inspiring chapter in the Bible because in the book of Acts, nobody gets saved, healed, filled with the Spirit. No miracles occur in Acts chapter 15, but important kingdom work and kingdom business takes place in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. So, I've entitled this chapter, We Hold These Truths, because there are certain truths we need to hold on to and never let go of, certain truths in the Word of God that are non-negotiable. And it's appropriate because, you know, we'll be celebrating the 4th of July, the independence of our country, when 56 men got together, 13 states, and signed what is now famously known as the Declaration of Independence. I want to read a portion of the Declaration of Independence for you this, uh, this afternoon. Here, here we go. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. Don't you love how they used to write back then? <laughs> that is the English language, right? And then the famous part that all of us are familiar with. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, the document continues, and we don't have time to read it all, but 56 men signed, and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors declaring that we will no longer be under the control of the crown, the British crown, the king of England. We exert and exercise our right to be free. You know, all those 56 men, most of them lost their lives, lost their fortunes, and lost their reputations and were tried for treason because they had the audacity to declare their freedom under God. In Acts 15, the early church declares its freedom in Christ. Freedom... From the law of Moses, because the crisis in this chapter was averted because the New Testament church was going to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and it was going to be built upon grace by, as a result of the finished work of Christ. And what was at stake here was this. Is it Jesus plus circumcision, or Jesus plus this, or Jesus plus that? Listen, if you subtract, if you subtract from grace, it's no longer grace. If you add to grace, it's no longer grace. And later on, the Apostle Paul will write to a church called Ephesus in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 of that book. He'll say, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift from God. Can we take a moment and thank God that salvation is a free gift? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to merit it. And at the end of the day, none of us really deserve the grace gift of salvation, the great grace gift of salvation, but God gives it to us anyway to them that believe. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we'll begin there. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, and here's what they were teaching, false heresy, doctrine, false doctrine, heresy. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Wow. You know, man likes to control other men. We like to control people with fear and in religions religious institutions and in churches people like to control people by saying if you don't do this you can't be saved unless you do this you can't be saved we we love as men to establish the parameters of god's salvation and this is no different these men falsely asserted that unless you're circumcised you cannot be saved which was a direct death blow to the finished work of Christ on the cross of of Calvary. Now, in life, life never hands us easy problems to solve. Usually the problems that we have to solve, the decisions that we have to make in life, are usually weighty decisions because we are given complicated problems in life. Actually, the older you get, really, and the more responsibility your life acquires, the more complicated those decisions and problems will be. Matter of fact, how many of you have had to make some really difficult decisions in your past? Raise your hand. Okay, Most of us, right? Um, How many of you, in the last six months, you've had to make a pretty difficult decision in your life? Raise your hand. All right, and one more question. How many of you right now are facing a situation in your life that you're going to have to make a really tough decision over? Raise your hand. So there you have it. All of us in life are handed what the early church here in Acts 15 were handed, a very complicated problem. But yet, it had a simple solution. Either it's by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace are you saved through faith, or it's salvation by subtraction or salvation by addition. And so, a lot's at stake here. And as I mentioned, Paul had just finished his first missionary journey, 1,400 miles, This happened in around 51 A.D., about 20 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, this incident here in Acts chapter 15, and a lot was at stake. Now, the Apostle Paul, after his traveling 1,400 miles, he and his ministry team, they dug down deep in a place called Antioch, which was about 300 miles from Jerusalem, and they stayed there a long time. We talked about that two weeks ago, and they were preaching and teaching and building the church and making disciples, And many Gentiles enthusiastically, hallelujah, they were hearing the gospel and receiving and believing and getting saved and filled with the Spirit. But certain Judaizers, ex-Pharisees, came and said, stop, this is not good. All you Gentiles, every person in the world that's not of Jewish descent is a Gentile. Two types of people in the world in the times of the Bible, Jew and Gentile. These people believed that in order for you to become a Christian, you would have to first become a Jew, and under the law of Moses, every man 13 years and older must be circumcised. And then you'd have to keep the law of Moses, then you could become a Christian. Well, (laughs) there's a lot at stake concerning that, a lot at stake. I mean, imagine if uh, you're new to Christianity, maybe you're visiting for the first time, maybe you've never been in a Christian church before, and you're hearing the gospel today, and at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to surrender your life to Christ, to be born again, or to rededicate your life to Christ. And the next step, after giving your life to Christ, the very next step is, well, water baptism. That's how you make a public profession of your faith in Christ. But there are several next steps. And one of the next steps in this spiritual journey that you initiate when you surrender your life to Christ is, To find a a church that you can call a home church and become a part of the community of faith there, so we have what's called Growth Track, and uh, it's it's part of a like a three part uh, process of becoming a member here at Trinity. And in the the membership part of Growth Track, that's where we can formally introduce ourselves to you, and you can formally introduce yourselves to us as a church. Uh, In that Growth Track, the membership aspect of it. we share our vision mission and values and we enter into a relationship a mutually uh, agreeable relationship to love and serve Christ together now imagine if you're new to the christian faith and you and if, and if this were true if what these judaizers were wanting the church to do the the change they were wanting to make imagine you coming guys with your wives maybe your grown children and you're sitting in the membership class and we tell you we'd love for you to be a part of this church and we'd love for you to be a christian but before you can be a Christian, before you become a member of this church, you must be circumcised. I could, I could hear or see a man in a class like that turn over to his wife and say, I don't think I'm going to make the cut. No pun intended. <laughs> we got to go someplace else, honey. This is not going to work. And his uh, sons are saying, yeah, Dad, it ain't going to work. I heard there's a church down the road that all they require is that you register to vote. I, I think that's where we need to become members. Imagine. Mankind, what man does, religion takes that which is simple and makes it complicated. God takes that which is complicated and makes it simple. Salvation is not complicated, it's simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Repent of your sin, turn to Christ. And the beauty of Christianity is that salvation is a free gift you don't pay for it, you don't work for it, you don't earn it, you don't merit it, after so many years of doing good and so many years of, if, if, you know, of not sinning, then maybe, just maybe, you'll gain enough points so that you can enter into heaven. No, we get to heaven because of Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes with the except He's done all the work. All we simply need to do is believe and trust, love him and follow him, and heaven will be our eternal home. Come on, how how could you reject such an offer like that? I know it sounds too good to be true, and that's why that was the problem with these Judaizers. It sounded too good to be true. So look at verse 2 now. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, I mean, they got into an intense argument here, because we have to hold to these truths at all costs because some truths are non-negotiable. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of the, uh, should go to Jerusalem, to the apostles and elders about this question. So they were going to bump it up to the Supreme Court of the, lo- of the Church of Jesus Christ, which at that time on the earth was in Jerusalem. And uh, the justices that were a part of uh, the, uh, the supreme authority were the apostles, the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, and the elders that were there In Jerusalem. And here's the question here's the problem. Here's the dilemma that they were going to present to them Is it Jesus and only Jesus, or is it Jesus plus the law of Moses, plus circumcision? You know, truth must always triumph over tradition, and truth must always triumph over tolerance. And we can be tolerant of other people's views and opinions, but we must never compromise the truth of God's Word. We hold to certain truths in the Word of God. Sometimes people don't like what those truths are, and so they try to make up their own truths, or some people may not like the Christian faith, and so they make, make up their own religion, or they change religions. Some people do. There's a story of an elderly man. He was not in good health, and he had two sons, and one son lived out of town. The other son lived in town, and, and so his younger son uh, said, you know what, we're, we're going to take you to the doctor, Dad, and he was not too much uh, in favor of that, but uh, they got him to the doctor, and and the doctor examined him, looked him over and said, uh, you're in bad shape, sir. You need to change your diet and start exercising. And if you don't, it's not going to go well for you. So he gave this man a regimen, a diet and, a, and an exercise plan. He said, now this, he needs to start on this immediately, he told his son. So they left and the son called the, the other, his brother that lived out of town and he said, so how'd it go? And he explained to him how, how it went and how the doctor gave him, a, th- their dad, a regimen of exercise and diet. Several weeks went by, and the son from out of town called up his dad, wanted to know how this new regimen of diet and exercise was going. He said, Dad, I want to know, are you following the doctor's instructions very carefully? And the dad on the other line said, I changed doctors. (laughs) If you don't like what one doctor said or suggested, you can always find another one, right? Well, we can't do that when it comes to the truth of God's Word. Here's what was at stake. First of all, number one, if it was required that Christians keep the law of Moses, then what Paul was preaching was heresy because Paul was preaching that it was by faith alone in Christ alone. Number two, if, we, if this were true, if you had to become a Jew or be circumcised before you could become a Christian, then the DBR, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was insufficient. Why did Christ come? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to bleed? Why did he have to die? If there was any other way to heaven other than through the cross, why would God send his son to be abused, misused, and nailed to a cross? Well, it's because that's the only way to the Father. The only way of salvation is through Christ. You and I don't have to add anything to it. Faith alone, Christ alone. This is what was at stake at this moment. So it continues in verse 3 now of Acts 15. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. Gentiles were getting saved, born again. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. In this 1,400-mile First missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and his ministry team and the thousands of Gentiles that were saved. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, they were sticking to their guns, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So basically they're saying, Paul, you need to go back on this journey and every person that was converted, it's a faulty conversion. They're not saved because unless they're all, all the men are circumcised and they keep the law of Moses, they can't be Christians. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. But these two groups were at odds, and there was disagreement. And a decision, a decision had to be made that was the right decision. And many times life doesn't hand us easy decisions life hands us complicated decisions you know in life it's i know it's a lot easier to go through life pointing out the problems and talking problems to death and you know pointing out the problems in your own life and pointing out the problems in your marriage and other people's marriage and pointing out the problems in our country and pointing out the problems at at your place of employment pointing out the problems in your church but it takes a rare individual to go through life not being able to identify problems and talk problems to death, it takes a rare individual to be, to, to be solution-minded. It takes a rare individual not to come to your supervisor's office with a problem, but to come with a solution. And how many know we need more solution-minded men and women in, in the body of Christ and in America and in the world? Men like Daniel... Daniel was taken from Jerusalem. He was taken to Babylon. He was being held captive there, but he made the best of his circumstances. And there are all types of complicated problems going on in in Babylon at that time, and and, and the the king was Nebuchadnezzar at that time. But Daniel was not a problem-oriented guy. He was a solution-oriented guy. He prayed. God gave him wisdom. And for the rest of his life, he was able to offer solutions to the complicated problems that, uh, that Bab- the Babylonians were, were facing and that his own people were facing. I mean, you know, we all need to be like Daniel. We all need to come not with a problem. We need to come with a solution. And if we go to God in prayer, he'll give us wisdom and he'll give us insight and solutions to complicated issues. Well, this really wasn't that complicated of an issue. Faith alone in Christ alone. You don't have to be circumcised. So the chief justice that day... Who happens to be the apostle Peter? He stands up and he makes these comments. Let's go to chapter verse six now of chapter fifteen. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, complicated matter, yes, but really a simple solution. And when they, and and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth. The Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Let's stop there. Remember in Acts chapter 10 when Peter was at a house and he was up on the roof and he was praying. It was at lunchtime, noon, and he fell into a trance, the Bible says. And he saw a vision. And in this vision, this great sheet was let down from heaven filled with all types of unclean animals. Because in the law of Moses, there was the ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. Actually, 613 laws written in the law of Moses. Part of the ceremonial laws included dietary laws, and in the dietary laws of Jews, you were not allowed to eat pork at all. So there's this great sheet, and all these unclean, and, and, in the, and then the God's voice comes, and this vision says, Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter was flabbergasted. God, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. Matter of fact, at that time, Peter had never been in a Gentile home, much less partake of Gentile food. He was born a Jew. He lived a Jew. And he lived according to the law of Moses. He didn't understand what this vision was. But at the same time, someone knocks on the door, and this guy Cornelius has an angel that appears to him and says, go to this house and get Peter, and he'll come and preach the gospel to you. So Cornelius fills his house. He's an Italian guy. He fills his house with all his friends and family members. Peter and these other Messianic Jews, Jews who are now followers of Christ, born again, apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they go to Cornelius' house, Peter's preaching, while Peter's preaching the gospel, Cornelius and his household believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read this, it's all in Acts chapter 10. They get saved simultaneously. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as, and magnify God, as it says in verses 46, 47, 48 of Acts 10. When this happens, <laughs> Peter and these other Jews, apostles of, of the Lord Jesus Christ who are now Christians, Messianic Jews, they're flabbergasted, they're dumbfounded. They're like, wait a minute, these are Gentiles. They just got saved. They just received the same Holy Spirit we did in Acts chapter 2 when 120 of them were up in, Jews, they were in the upper room. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. And so Peter is saying, God, who knows the hearts and acknowledged them by giving them, the Gentiles, the same Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts. What are these two words? Purifying their hearts how? By, by circumcision? By works? No. By keeping the law of Moses? No. By faith. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness when Paul was trying to verify and prove that, right, that justification is by faith and not by works in Romans chapter 4. By faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So this is Peter's defense. He doesn't use Scripture, but in a moment when we come back next time to study the rest of Acts 15, James stands up and he bases the decision they're about to make, the right decision, he bases it on Scripture. Peter's argument in defense of what Paul was doing and preaching, justification by faith, was based on his experience. He said, listen, guys, I, I can't argue with what I saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears. These Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, they got saved just like we did, and they got the same Holy Spirit just like we did. And they didn't have to go through circumcision and keeping the law of Moses because God is no respecter of persons. Isn't that wonderful? Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely of the water of life. I say that to all of you that may not know Christ yet. Come and drink freely of the water of life. and You better do it quickly because in 105 degree temperature, that water's gonna evaporate. But there's enough for everyone, amen. (laughs) It's a free gift. It's a gift, as I mentioned earlier, we really don't deserve it. And you can't, definitely can't earn it. You can never get good enough. You simply need to believe. Accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're born again, and He fills you with the mighty Spirit. And then we spend the rest of our lives living for Him, not working for Him to earn His love. It's because we have His love, and we're, we're confident in that unconditional love that He has for us, that we now live out our lives in a way to please Him because He's changed our hearts. And we know that He lives in us, and, and our, our spirit bears witness with His spirit, that we are sons of God. For our heart, our spirit cries, Abba, Father. And we know that we've been born again. We know that, as it says in the book of Ezekiel, our heart of stone has been taken out and God has placed within us a heart of flesh. And the things we used to love to do, we now hate to do. And The things we used to hate to do, <clears throat> we now love to do. And so we know that, <clears throat> that we've been changed. That something has changed on the inside of us. And that something is someone and it's Christ. So I want to I end uh, on, on a practical note. They had to make a, a really tough decision here in Acts 15. Because life doesn't hand you easy problems to solve, only complicated problems. Many of you have solved some complicated problems. Many of you are going to have to solve some complicated problems in your life. And so what are, the, what are the top ten hardest decisions you'll have to make in your life? Let's begin with number ten and work our way up, work our way up to number one. Uh, one of the hardest decisions you'll have to make in your life is saying no. That's hard. It's hard to say no to the things that we should say no to. Matter of fact, there's some of you that are saying yes to the things that you should be saying no to, and you're saying no to the, some of the things that you should be saying yes to. One of the hardest things, the, the longer you live, the older you get, one of the hardest decisions that you need to make is a decision of what to say yes to and what to say no to. Now, little kids, one of the first words and favorite words that they use is no, 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 no. But as they get older, for somehow we lose that and then we want to say yes, yes, yes to everything and everyone because we become people pleasers. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make the people you love happy and wanting to serve them, but not at the extent of doing what God's called you to do with your life. The the number nine of the top hardest decisions, number nine is which bridges to cross and which bridges to burn. You see, we'll have to know when to walk away or when to go the extra mile. In a relationship sometimes relationships become very destructive very dysfunctional and very very unhealthy when there's habitual abuse and habitual neglect abandonment and adultery abuse abandonment and adultery you're going to have to make a tough decision to know when to burn a bridge or cross a bridge when to go the extra mile or when to walk away you'll need to do that related to a career or a career change, or leaving a secure job to follow your passion and to follow the dream that God's placed in your heart. Number eight of life's hardest decisions, following your own dreams and not your parents. Listen, young people, you should always honor your father and your mother. If you want it to go well with you and you want to live long on the earth, you need to always, that's one of the commandments, honor your father and your mother. Always heed their advice. But you're going to come to a point in time in your life when you're going to have to make decisions on your own and those decisions may not be the decisions your parents want you to make such as you know the the major that you're going to declare in college you know or what your post grad work might look like or even what college you might go to now granted if your parents are flipping the bill if they pay they have a say as i say (laughs) And, and if you're on your own dime then more power to you you've got my blessing and my encouragement but if I want to fund this, I've got a vote in, in, in the matter. But you need to follow your own dreams and not your parents. Number seven, what city should I live in? You know, it's, a, it's an important decision. It's a spiritual decision. Uh, born and raised in New Mexico, my wife and I spent 30 years of my life in Albuquerque. And when God moved our cheese and a door was closing in Albuquerque and a door was opening here in Lubbock, we prayed. Is this God's plan for our life? Our boys were eight and six at that time and We're gonna now spend the foreseeable future living in Lubbock, Texas. I really didn't even know where Lubbock, Texas was. I had never been to Lubbock, Texas. But uh, we prayed about whether we were supposed to move and live and raise our children in this city. And looking back 17 years later, thank God we made the right decision. Because (laughs) Lubbock is a great place to raise a family. And to just live, actually. Uh, A tough decision whether you should rent or buy a house, finding a home church, who to go on a date with, those of you that are single. That's a tough decision. You know, their profile says one thing on match.com or christianlove.org or whatever these sites are these days. And then you meet him, you're like, whew, is this the same person? You know, like, wow, you sure have changed. (laughs) At least that's what I hear, right? (laughs) So, uh, you know, you got to pray about, should I go out on a date with this person? Should I begin a friendship with this person? These are important decisions, not easy decisions. Having children, not having children. Getting married, not getting married. And that's the second most important decision you'll ever make. The person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you need to make the right decision. And then the most important decision you'll ever make, about following Christ and hopefully you've made that decision if you haven't we're going to give you a chance at the end of the message here in a few minutes to surrender your life to Christ that's the most important decision where you will spend eternity you're gonna be somewhere forever and ever and ever and hopefully it's in heaven hopefully it's a part of God's eternal kingdom and his eternal family and it's not difficult Christ did all the work he paid the price in full You simply need to turn your life over to Him. Repent of your sins, yes. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and turn to God in faith. He'll forgive you. He'll receive you. He'll come into your life and then He'll live through you and He'll change you. He'll change you from the inside out. So what to consider though before you make a decision? Because decisions are like playing dominoes. You hit one and many other decisions will be the result of that one decision that you've made. Here's some things to consider. Number one, have you prayed? Those of you that are facing a tough decision right now in your life, you have a complicated issue and there's not an easy solution to, friend, you need to pray. You need to inquire of the Lord. Whatever The, the Bible says in Romans 14, 23, whatever's not of faith is sin. It says in James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you receive not because you ask amiss that you might gratify it upon your own lusts. So we need to make sure that we pray And we have the heart of God and the mind of God concerning whatever important decision we need to make in our life. Number two, ask yourself this question. question. Will I regret it later? Will I like myself after I make this decision? What might be the unintended consequences of making this decision? Or right now, what are the unintended consequences of my indecision? Because an indecision is a decision against something. And once again, in life, There will come times when you are required to make a decision, and we need to pray. We need to ask, will I regret this later? Number three, is it fear that's motivating me to make this decision? Because fear has torment, and God's not given us a spirit of fear. Is it a matter of faith? Is it a matter of following the the leading of God in your life? Is it a matter of hope and following the dream of God in your heart? Then make that decision with no regrets. But don't let it be based on fear. Number four, check in with your head, heart, and gut. You know, there are some decisions we make just purely because rationally and intellectually they make sense. Sometimes we have to follow our heart because the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly, the book of Proverbs says, and sometimes it might not make sense up here, but in here, your heart, you're like, I feel this is the direction the Lord's leading us in. And then sometimes you just have to trust your instinct. You know, the good old gut feeling. And here's what I have to say intelligently informed decisions that resonate with our heart and concur with our instincts will often prove to be the right decisions in our life. Number five, why do I want this? Before you make an important decision, you have to ask yourself the question, why, 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 why do I want this? The experts say that you should ask yourself that question at least five times so you can pull back the layers and really get to the heart and the true intent and the true motive of the decision you're about to make number six two more and then we'll close number six can I deal with the fallout you see choices have consequences and when you make this choice there will be other ramifications other other events that will begin to be set in motion that you'll not be able to take back once this choice or decision is made so can you deal with the fallout See the decision that was going to be made here in Acts 15, which was the right decision, by the way, that it was going to be on the foundation of the finished work. The church was going to be built on the foundation of the finished work of Christ on Calvary by grace through faith, period. Not of works, lest any man should boast. They came to the right decision, but when they came to the right decision, not everyone was happy. The Judaizers were unhappy. And, matter of fact, for the rest of Paul's earthly life and the rest of his ministry, they dogged his trail everywhere he went. They started their own false church, their own false religion, their own cult, and they tried to poison the minds of everyone that Paul and the rest of his ministry team would preach the true unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ to because they weren't happy with the outcome. Sometimes right decisions are made in a family, in a church, in a life, and many people won't be happy with that decision because it wasn't their decision, even though it's the right decision, even though it's a decision that, that God will bless and God will honor. Some will not like it, and there will be a great falling out. Oh, well. But you do need to count the cost. And finally, number seven, have I acquired wise counsel? The Bible says, in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. You know, uh, I've always gone to godly, experienced advisors, counselors, godly men. That, uh, that I trusted, I trust their life, their testimony, and their track record. And before I've made major decisions, I've always asked for advice about marriage, about ministry, about moving to Lubbock, about leaving our, our former church and, and coming here, and decisions that we've had to make financially. We've always gone to other people, and in, now they can't make the decision for us. They give us their advice and their counsel, and we prayerfully consider it and then talk about it, and then we have to come to our own decision as a husband and a wife, and sometimes in your own life, you need to come to that decision. I remember one time my wife and I, we went to one of those timeshare promotions, you know, they they were going to give out a a free set of Callaway golf clubs. I'm like, yeah, why not? And uh, they said, we only need three hours of your time. But they were so good at the sales pitch, they almost had me signing up my life, my kids, my grandkids, to the thousandth generation. Because once you sign up for a timeshare, you can never get rid of it, (laughs) pretty much. And so, uh, I mean, they were so good and it was like so appealing. Every year you can come here, you know. So I called a financial advisor friend of mine. I said, hey, here's the, I said, excuse me, I got to use the the men's room. (laughs) And I, I called him, I said, hey, he's like, no. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed here, thank you. And that gave me the courage to go back and say, my final answer is no. So uh, always get wise counsel before you make a decision, an important decision in your life, to make sure you have the heart of God and that you make the right decision. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today and we say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? What complicated problems in my life that need to be solved, Lord, how can I apply the wisdom from the Word of God, the wisdom from this message to maybe make a course change or a course redirection in my life? Maybe I've made a wrong choice and I need to, I need to rectify and I need to, I need to make a better choice related to that area in my life. Lord, speak now by your Holy Spirit. And the most important decision you'll ever make is a decision to follow Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have the assurance of heaven as your eternal home, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. And if you'll say this prayer with your own mouth and mean it from your own heart, the Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God, raise him from the dead, you will be saved. The grace of all miracles will occur in your life today. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together?